It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. It is a Wednesday and uh, another uh, fun-filled day here. Lots of stuff going on for sure. We're going to check in with Jason Jorgensen in a little bit and find the latest that we know about the Boys State Tournament as he's checking all of that information right now. And uh, we, But we do have Susan Littlefield here to uh, give us even more information about other stuff. How are you today? I'm doing well, and unfortunately, we're going to talk, possibly talk a little coronavirus at 1219. Well, why not? I know. <laughs> Everybody else is. Everybody else is. I'm actually going to talk with Mike Steenhook. He's with the Soy Transportation Coalition. As we talk about this, it's easy to forget and kind of get caught up in all the hype that's happening. But this is the normal time of year. We see a downtrend when it comes to soybean exports. So mm-hmm. we'll kind of reiterate that and talk a little bit more about that. Then at 1245, Brandon will step in as he has some stats across the nation struggling that states, that is, to attract applicants for their state patrol, state police organizations. So we will hear more from him on that. And then we'll wrap it all up here at 117 as Bruce Gorder visits with Anne-Marie Rochrink. She's a 2010 analytics to discuss a nationwide study on consumer meat buying and the trends that are seen. All right. Very good. Lots of stuff to look forward to. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Well, it's obviously a very liquid situation right now, Jason, but uh, they've been meeting in uh, at the NSA board and now that with the Lincoln City Council about the state tournament. And the very latest, the press conference is still going on, is that at this point, the Boys State Basketball Tournament is on. It is But on. they are only going to allow immediate family members in. Now, what does that exactly mean? I don't know. How are they going to verify that at the door? I would not want that job. Well, and Jay Beller, the head of the NSA, was saying a little bit ago, we're going to leave that up to the schools, and boy, that's a whole other clerical thing, and oh my goodness. I'm assuming, now we don't have this definite yet, but our man Bryce Dushkit has been there, that if they're going to allow immediate family members in, then the media will also be allowed in, so you are going to be... In Lincoln, with a much bigger job than usual, because the crowds will not be right. there. It's going to be what a weird, what a weird situation it's yeah. going to be for these these schools and stuff too. Man, uh, no easy answers on this. I wouldn't want it to be uh, my call when it comes to this, especially with it happening just a day before the tournament. Think of all the fans from Western Nebraska and from Scotts Bluff who are already on their way to Lincoln right, at this right. point and now uh, being told, hey, if you're not an immediate family member, they won't let you in. Well, and think about the economic impact right. this is going to have on Lincoln, too. And think about the poor folks who are working the phones at the hotels right now. Uh, uh, calls are coming in and people trying to cancel their reservations. Bad deal. Bad deal all around. But uh, latest on this story uh, coming up at 1220. All right. Thank you very much, Jason. Appreciate it. Let's go to Bob Brogan now. What do you got for us today? Not much good news either. It just keeps rolling along, you know. Uh, there's no end in sight to the turbulence in the stock market. Investors experiencing the latest twist today with the Dow Jones Industrial Average falling about 1,000 points or 3.7%. Also, uh, U.S. consumer prices increased slightly last month, driven higher by more expensive food. And across the uh, across the pond, Britain has taken dramatic steps to cushion the economic shock of the coronavirus outbreak. So we're going to we haven't heard the end of this. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be with us for a while. Yeah, it's 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 getting exhausting, Bob. Is what it's getting. Gee, many Christmas. All this coming up on midday. 
Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. We're joined by Paul Perkins in studio here, and it is a kooky sort of day, but a beautiful day mostly across the state of Nebraska. You know, that fog burned off. It's exactly. Uh, usually the fog burns off a little quicker than it does yeah. when we have westerly winds. That wasn't quite the case for today. We still have some clouds and fog still lingering in central and eastern parts of Nebraska and north central areas of Kansas, especially along and east of a line from Albion to just east of Kearney, down to around Franklin, Smith Center, and Osborne, Kansas. Clouds to the east of that, but a lot of sunshine as you go to the west of that. Temperatures underneath those clouds still in the upper 30s to low 40s, but many other locations in Nebraska, mid to upper 40s, and we are seeing some low and mid 50s over far southwest Nebraska. And also into northern Kansas, seen to even close to 60 over far northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado. Good weather is on the way once those clouds do burn off in your area. <laughs> Enjoy it while we got it, though, because yeah. the rest of the story isn't so good. Exactly. This is going to be the nicest of the next seven days by far. Today we're just ahead of a cold front. Some sunshine. Temperatures expected to top out 20 degrees above normal with those westerly and southwesterly winds. With the passage of that cold front for tonight, some small chances of light rain or sprinkles for tonight into tomorrow morning. A few thunderstorms may even occur across north-central Kansas. Tomorrow will be cooler, but still a slightly above average behind that front. Rain chances increase during the day Friday. Could be mixed with some snow with some low pressure tracking out of the four corners. Rain is likely to change to all snow after midnight Friday night into Saturday morning with accumulations possible right now. Most of the snow accumulations expected to range 2 to 4 inches. That is subject to change, especially if we have a, a quicker turnover to snow or maybe a slower turnover to snow. That could affect those uh, snow totals quite a bit. We do have the latest snowfall forecast map on our Facebook page, but do take that with a grain of salt. It is subject to change this far out, but it looks like, once again, Late Friday night into Saturday morning, accumulating snow is possible. Now, off and on, rain and snow chances will continue. Sunday through Wednesday is more low-pressure tracks east out of the west coast. Another likely chance of snow early next week, Monday night into Tuesday. Temperatures will be about 5 to 10 degrees colder than normal for Saturday through Wednesday, so not overly cold, so we will see some melting of that snow that does fall. In our long-term forecast, temperatures are likely to be colder than normal for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. Monday through March 24th. Above normal precipitation likely for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 24th, especially the early half of next week. Soil temperatures four inches down at 7 this morning in the low 30s for the northern two-thirds of Nebraska. Along and south of I-80 into extreme north-central and northeast Kansas, so soil temperatures in the mid to upper 30s, much of Kansas with soil temperatures in the low to mid 40s. Weather factors influencing the market include heavy rain in store for the south-central U.S. and additional chances for useful rain in Argentina in the next several days. Cold air building across Alaska and western Canada will arrive across the northern plains late in the weekend and early next week. Get this, sub-zero temperatures expected in parts of Montana. Winter isn't over uh. yet. <laughs> Rain and snow will proceed and accompany that cold air arrival. Active weather across the southern U.S. will result in five-day rain totals of one to three inches from the southeastern plains to the southern Appalachians. In the Midwest, the precipitation set to be heavy for east and southeast areas, bringing fieldwork delays along with the threat of flooding. The northern plains will have more light mixed precipitation the rest of the week before some, uh, while some late harvest will continue, stormier conditions expected for the northern plains by the weekend. In the southern plains, widespread rain and snow 
Friday and Saturday will benefit the winter wheat areas, especially those that have been dry. In south-central Argentina, they had some rain develop today. Central Argentina areas will have additional rounds of moderate to heavy rain this next week. That additional rain will benefit the crop moisture, but also bring some localized flooding. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. You just don't know when the temperature is going to fall and the right time and all exactly. that stuff for this. A lot of it probably after midnight into Saturday morning for much of the area. And two to four inches going to be a wet snow for right. sure okay all right very good thank you paul i appreciate it where do you go to check in on your weather sir weather tab krvn.com it's easy to get caught up in what's happening globally and how it might affect the soybean trade But according to one expert, this is the normal time we see a slowdown in exports of our soybeans. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Mike Steenhook is executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, and we talked about the recent export numbers. Well, I I think during the midst of all of this turmoil and anxiety and, and, you know, people are trying to sort out, you know, what's fact, what's fiction, what's reality, what's hyperbole, I I think it's important just to kind of understand a little bit more about context and and really kind of focus on what are the things that we know and what are the things that we don't know and the temptation is to look at u.s soybean exports uh, particularly to china uh, as of late and seeing that you know we've we haven't been exporting a whole lot the temptation is to make the conclusion that well this must be attributed to the coronavirus and you know the reality is this is the time of the year where the U.S. soybean export spigot gets normally turned off and the Brazilian and to another extent the the Argentinian soybean spigot gets turned on. This is when the South American harvest comes online um, and so they traditionally are the world supplier for soybeans at this time of the year. So seeing this pretty significant curtailment of U.S. soybean exports is is very consistent with with previous years. The reality also is we do have a number of um, objective headwinds that continue to confront the U.S. soybean industry. Um, Certainly one of them is the persistence of African swine fever and how what the implications of that has been on pork production in China and therefore their demand for soybean imports. Um, It's also very notable that the U.S. dollar has strengthened considerably against the Brazilian real, their currency, um, which makes our exports more expensive and theirs more economical. And so to put that into context, um, in 2017, one U.S. dollar would, would get you over three Brazilian reais. Now it's one U.S. dollar equals about 4.7 Brazilian reais. So all of a sudden, our exports have become more expensive compared to Brazil. So we've seen some real significant headwinds confronting U.S. soybean exports to China and, and elsewhere. And so it's really attributed to those things. You know, clearly the coronavirus has had a major impact on the global supply chain. You know, most notably with containerized shipping. So that certainly needs to be acknowledged. But as far as U.S. soybean exports, 
they do normally pull back at this time of the year. And that's a good point to bring up to people because it's easy to get, kind of get caught up in the in the hype of phase one, the hype of coronavirus, African swine fever, and forget that normally we are kind of slow this time of year. Yeah, 80% of U.S. soybean exports occur between the months of September and February. And when it when it comes to the phase one trade agreement and all those export targets that were established in that agreement, most soybean observers and observers of the U.S.-China trade relationship, we've all been more attentive to what are going to be the export volumes uh, leaving the United States in fall of 2020, because that's when normally the U.S. soybean export spigot gets turned on, and that's when the South American spigot gets turned off. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It is time for us to take a look at sports and quite the day in Nebraska sports for sure. Jason Jorgensen in here and uh, not a whole lot of change in what we talked about about an hour ago, right? Yeah, go figure. But if folks had missed it, the NSAA Boys State Basketball Tournament is going to look different this year due to the outbreak of the coronavirus. Due to a recommendation from the city of Lincoln, only immediate family of players and coaches will be allowed to watch the games. NSAA Executive Director Jay Beller says the board will be meeting this afternoon to discuss the logistics, and this is just a bad deal. We are very saddened that it can't go on with the, with all the fans there, but we do realize that, that this is the best thing to do. So to tell you what it's going to look like at this point in time, uh, probably premature. Uh, but as soon as we know, we'll get that out to everybody. The decision came to life after a Crofton student testing positive for the coronavirus. They tested positive after they attended the girls' state basketball tournament last week. Yeah, so it's a, there are a whole lot to this. But I, I really, and I mentioned this to you, Jay Beller, uh, I used to work with him, a really good guy. I can't imagine the decisions they're trying to make. No, uh, we still have not heard a definitive answer whether the media will mm-hmm. be allowed in or not. I would think that uh, decision will be coming at some point this afternoon. If the media is allowed in, and if you're willing yeah, to take one it. for the team, <laughs> we'll have the Loomis and Southern Valley games tomorrow from KRVN Sports. The Nebraska men's basketball team will have a couple of football players dressing tonight as Brant Banks and Noah Vedrill have been added to the roster. That's because on Saturday, Sunday, the Huskers only dressed seven players. Vedrill actually was a pretty good basketball player. I remember watching oh, him yeah, play. He, yeah. was, he was an All-Stater there at Bishop Newman. I'd be surprised if he gets into play, although if it gets ugly against Indiana... Why not? Why not? Tip off at seven fifteen as the Huskers look to stop the sixteen game losing skid. We'll bring you the game tonight on eight eighty KRVN. The Nebraska baseball team, they're back in action this afternoon as they take on Northern Colorado. I'm a little surprised if in Lincoln, if they're worried about folks coming in for state uh, basketball, that they'd allow the baseball games to continue to be played, but that happens. Also, there's a big concert going on tonight at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Oh, really? And I believe Blake Shelton is still scheduled to play as well. So, I, once again, it's it's a no-win situation on all of this.
place. The economic impact yeah. of uh, the capital city yep. is huge. Uh, that series concludes between Northern Colorado and the Huskers this afternoon at one thirty. We will bring you the game locally on Cami Country. And the Concordia women won today in the first round of the NAIA National Tournament as they beat Wilberforce 75-57. What that means is Bulldogs will play tomorrow at noon against Kansas Wesleyan. Hastings College begins action in the tournament tomorrow. So there you go. That's Check of Sports. We will keep everyone up to date throughout mm-hmm. the afternoon here on KRVN on this NSAA situation. Okay. Well, let me know if I'm supposed to go or not. All right. I'll, <laughs> you'll be the first I talk to. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jason. The third annual I Love NU Day was held on Tuesday at the Nebraska State Capitol. Alumni, students, faculty, staff, and community members gathered at the Capitol to celebrate and show their love for the University of Nebraska's campuses, UNK, UNL, UNMC, UNO, and NCTA. The University of Nebraska at Kearney is encouraging students to avoid traveling abroad amid the recent COVID-19 outbreak. As Dr. Tim Burking of the International Affairs Office adds, this includes study abroad programs and international students looking to return home for spring break in the coming weeks. If it's their personal travel, we have limited authority. However, uh, we are telling students that you know you run the risk of not being able to, to come back. UNK has already canceled study abroad programs for the Czech Republic and South Korea and does not currently have any students located in level 3 travel restriction countries. Nebraska lawmakers have taken a major step toward increasing transparency and accountability in state-run juvenile homes following an outbreak of violence, vandalism, and escapes. Lawmakers on Tuesday gave initial approval to measures that would require state officials to create a long-term operations plan for how to safely run the youth rehabilitation and treatment centers in Geneva, Kearney, and Lincoln. The package would also create an oversight committee to examine problems at the facilities and would require state officials to report major incidents such as assaults and escapes to a public watchdog who works for the legislature. Governor Pete Ricketts says the state is observing the one-year anniversary of massive flooding that impacted the state in March 2019. Even though conditions aren't as threatening this year, the possibility of flooding still exists. We also want to remind people that we've been lucky with the warm weather. We're really kind of past the place in the year where we might have ice jams cause flooding. But with additional weather, we may have additional flooding. We got a heavy rainstorm or something like that. Groundwaters are still very high. River levels are still very high. There's still a lot of precipitation that had fallen in the mountains that is coming down through Montana and North Dakota and South Dakota. So we're still at risk. And we want people to be prepared. During the news conference, Governor Ricketts and Dr. Gary Antone, the state's chief medical officer and director of public health, also commented on coronavirus 2019. They reminded Nebraskans to practice good hygiene and to take precautions against the spread of the illness. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs has told Bellevue University and other schools that it intends to disapprove the enrollment of new GI Bill students. The VA said Monday the schools have given erroneous, deceptive, or misleading information to prospective students. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Austin Jacobson.
Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network and the first part of a special two-part interview with Colonel John Boldick, Superintendent of the Nebraska State Patrol. Colonel, there was a recent TV article from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, talking about the issues the Missouri State Highway Patrol was having in its recruiting process, bringing in applicants, and then having those applicants stay through their six-month academy. Other states have uh, seen the same struggles. What do the Nebraska State Patrol recruitment and application numbers look like, both traditionally over time and even in the past few years, especially since the incident in Ferguson, Missouri? We are mirroring other state law enforcement agencies where the numbers have trended downward. We're starting to see some positive movement in the right direction. 2019 was our best recruiting year since 2014. So that netted us 23 troopers who passed through two different academies. We had nine in one camp, but 14 in another. So that was our best year, but we've had to do some things differently to reach out and uh, attract more people to our profession. And what we're seeing is that the numbers are low, the number of people across the country who are entering law enforcement. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There haven't been a lot of uh, great longitudinal studies that can pinpoint exactly why that is. But if you look at the sustained positive economy we've had the last few years, 3% unemployment nationwide, folks can pretty much get a job anywhere they want if they have any kind of decent credentials. So traditionally, we've seen people coming out of the military, coming out of colleges who have gravitated toward law enforcement. And again, this is in all 50 states. But people have a lot of options with those kind of credentials right now. So we have to work harder to recruit quality applicants to our profession. I think some of the things that we've been doing are paying dividends. We are seeing in the next batch of potential recruits for Camp 6-3, which will begin this summer, we are seeing the largest number of applicants that we've seen in several years. So we do see the numbers going in a positive direction, and uh, we're optimistic about the future. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network, talking with Colonel John Boldick, Superintendent of the Nebraska State Patrol. In your experience in working in a number of different law enforcement agencies, what are those strategies that you have seen that have worked to help increase the both the quantity and the quality of that applicant pool? You know, when I started, let's just say more than 30 years ago, you could hang out an application in the local newspaper and say, hey, look, we're looking for police officers in this agency or that agency, and you'll have three to 500 people show up, and you can basically have your pick of the litter. That's just not the case anymore. So what we're seeing now is we have to kind of mirror the strategies that we're seeing. Like if I was a Division One football or basketball coach and I'm trying to recruit the best and brightest to come to my team, which is essentially what we're doing, is you have to build a relationship with those recruits. You have to go where they are and you can't just send out advertisement like we used to. So we're doing some things differently today than that we didn't see 10 or 20 years ago. We're doing a lot of engagement on social media. We're going to as many of the military career fairs uh, as we can. We're certainly going to colleges and universities and technical colleges, and we're building relationships with criminal justice professors, criminal justice programs, and we're much more engaged with our internship program. We now have six different uh, universities that we're partnering with for internships. So it's just different. You have to source candidates differently than you used to. And that's the beauty of having a uh, modern law enforcement agency. We have people who have very little experience to people who have a lot of experience and everybody in between. And what we're asking for is for our troopers and staff to own this problem. Go out and make a connection. It might be a neighbor. It might be a niece or a nephew. But our, our troopers and staff, they are rubbing elbows with members of the community all over the state. And we're saying, 
hey, let's all own this problem and go out, and if everybody recruits one or two people, we'll have plenty of people to fill these jobs. And that's starting to pay dividends. It's no longer just the recruiting department or the human resources department. We all are part of the solution. It's one team serving Nebraska, and no one knows the job better than the people who are actually doing it and that's working. They're recruiting friends, neighbors, relatives. Uh, we have some legacy troopers, which is you know sons and daughters of troopers, and there's no better endorsement than to have the son or daughter of a trooper join our team saying, hey, we've seen this in our parents, the nobility of serving in law enforcement, and we want to be part of that. And uh, those are special recruits to us, and we really enjoy seeing that. It's a validation of, of what we're doing. And uh, one of the wonders of recruiting for our agency is that we have a very diverse mission. We are more aligned like a state police model than we are just a pure highway patrol, but all of the law enforcement functions here in Nebraska are under the state patrol. So we have our investigators, we have a lot of specialized divisions, canine, aircraft, SWAT. A person coming into our agency as a new trooper may not spend 10 or 20 or 30 years just working in patrol. Now, some people love that and they do it and they do a great job, but there's a lot of opportunities to branch out in our agency and that's one of the big selling points of our agency that we hear positive feedback from some of our recruits. They can spend a few years in traffic, they can go to a specialized division like carrier enforcement, they can go into investigations, they could do drug investigations. So there's a lot of opportunity to move around and try different things. And when I go to recruiting fairs, I tell young people, typically are younger people coming into this profession, look, you can work in a very urban area if you'd like, or you can work in a very rural area if you'd like, and you can work anything in between. So if you're working in a rural area and you decide after a few years, I'd kind of like to go where there's more traffic, you can do that. So we have a lot of opportunities to branch out in a career, and we have many troopers who have spent their entire career moving around and trying different things and diversifying their skill set. So that's a, a great selling point, I think, for our agency. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities to experience new things in one agency throughout a career. That was Colonel John Boldick, superintendent of the Nebraska State Patrol, joining us for the first part of a special two-part interview on the recruitment and the training process for the Nebraska State Patrol. The second part of this special two-part interview series coming up tomorrow morning at 7.40 a.m. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett's. Twelve forty-five here on a Wednesday, and again, boy, I tell you, stocks taking a tumble today after a nice day yesterday, where they were able to uh, recover very, at least a little, recover the losses that we had seen. But today, right back down again. We look at the overnights in uh, the overseas, the overseas stocks, the Japanese Nikkei. Down uh, over 2%, down 440 points. The Hang Seng in, Lo- in uh, Hong Kong was down 159. The FTSE in London down 82. And the German DAX index was down 36 points. So all red there. Now the 10-year yield, which had fallen to 0.54% on uh, Monday, um, is still down from where it was yesterday, but up from that time. But it's still it's at 0.74% on the 10-year yield, so not making a whole lot of money there right now. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average is just one of the worst days as they go down. They are now under 23K at a 
lost today of 1,200 points. So they are down 5% just on the day. And uh, NASDAQ also down big, almost 5% at 357 points down. And the Standard & Poor down 128 points. Bob Brogan in with more. And the escalator downward continues. Stocks falling sharply again on Wall Street, wiping out virtually all of Tuesday's huge rally. As Wall Street continues to reel from worries about the coronavirus, the loss has deepened after global authorities declared the corona crisis, the coronavirus crisis, a pandemic. Stocks fell from the opening of trading in New York, including a 4.5% loss for the S&P 500. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down more than 1,200 points, and uh, a lot of that uh, Scott's already talked about. Um, other things that are happening uh, on the home front, the Boys State Basketball Tournament in Lincoln will be limited to immediate family members uh, of players. That decision announced today by city and health officials. And so that's kind of a, that's another indication of how serious uh, this thing keeps deepening. U.S., uh, you know, U.S. reaction to this is just um, huge. Uh, on every front. Uh, also, uh, the administration is weighing delaying the tax deadline amid the outbreak. So those are some of the stories breaking today. All right. Thank you, Bob. According to a recent report titled The Power of Meat, it shows consumer attitudes toward buying meat remain positive. This is Anne-Marie Rorink, who led the study. Tan Analytics is uh, my little research company, and we focus exclusively on food retailing, and we like to look at how consumers interact with different areas of the store, in this case, meat, because we think, you know, you, you get a lot of the sales data, obviously, from your own store, but really understanding the why behind the sales data is important to start looking forward to trends, and that's really what the power of meat does. It looks at anything and everything relative to buying and consuming meat. So talk about the uh, study, The Power of Meat. Uh, who did you talk to and, and w- over what period of time were you talking to them? So the core of the survey is a consumer survey online with 1,500 shoppers. And we ask them where they buy meat, where they buy it from, what kinds of meat they buy, how do they prepare it, really anything relative to that meat and poultry purchase. We also go out and do interviews, live interviews with people. We also overlay it with information that actually comes out of the store, so what people have bought. So at any given time, we have several different opinions and and different areas relative to what the consumer thinks and what their opinions are relative to exactly what they actually bought from the store data. Are there certain trends in play right now, Anne-Maria, about, about per, um, from uh, consumers about their meat purchases at this point? Yeah, one, one of the main ones I'd, I'd like to call out is the actual trend that meat is on trend. And that might actually surprise you a little bit because if you look at the consumer trade press, you'd swear that plant-based meat alternatives are all the rage, wildly popular. And in reality, Bruce, um, only 14% of households purchase plant-based meat alternatives at retail and 98% uh, buy meat. We actually saw an increase in meat sales, both in dollars and volume. Beef did extremely well. And again, if you believe the trade press, uh, meat is in big trouble. Do you think we're going to see a lot of change coming at us for the simple reason that boomer households, who are the current majority spender, are shrinking in size? 
And at the same time, we see millennials now really entering their family raising years and their dollar is ramping up and they interact with me very differently. So I do think we're going to see a change moving forward, but meat sales are still going extremely strong. What kind of future trends are you looking at, Anne-Marie? So if you look at the millennial shopper, um, first of all, they buy more, they buy more meat online, which is not something we've seen a whole lot of. Um, they also buy items that are at least partially prepared. So I'm thinking of things that like preformed patties or preformed meatballs or chicken kebabs or marinated chicken, those kinds of items. The boomer doesn't really enjoy those items because they like to cook. They like to create their own items. Millennials, with a lot of pressure on their time, with less knowledge as it relates to meat, really loves what we call these value-added items. We see a lot more demand for items that have production attributes like uh, organic or grass-fed or all-natural or maybe uh, the free-from items, from hormones, antibiotics, those kinds of things. So we also see, um, because of health and wellness, uh, a bigger demand for smaller portions as well. So there's very few people, less than 6%, that even have any intention of cutting out meat and poultry altogether. But there are some folks who say, you know what, I'd like to eat a little bit less of it. The portions are significant, and I'd love to keep meat on the plate, but I'd love to have smaller portions. So I do think that is another big trend that we're going to see going forward. So overall, good news for the meat industry. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Radio Network joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zach Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. And John, looking here at the closing grain markets, a risk-off market is really only a day away, it seems like, with these swings. Yeah, it's... I kind of shake my head here. I, 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 you know, getting asked, like, would you short it here? Would you hedge it here? And I kind of think, oh, you know, this is just not the kind of market you really want to sell into. It hasn't worked out. I mean, go back to the last decade, anytime things get really scary, um, you know, shorting into a scary move has not worked. But kind of thinking maybe this time will be a little bit different. Just the market got nervous here as the Senate uh, met as far as what uh, what they're going to do with tax cuts and uh, stimulus. And it sounds like they're going to wait a couple of weeks. And the market did not like that. So stocks sell off. You know, grains are going to take that that cue at this point. I don't think there's a lot of fundamentals that are pushing prices on the on the on the uh, the U.S. feed grain prices. Um, we're at a point now where acreage, in, in my opinion, is going to get pushed a lot towards corn, just with with beans in the high you know high 80s, 880s. You're just not going to get a lot of bean acres on the fringe there. So, concern is really corn here in the near term, specifically that new crowd price. Um, you know, you look at some of the carryover expectations that we're going to see in a month. You're looking at three billion bushels of, of excess carryover and that's with the exports at a high level so i'm a little bit nervous here i hate to be bearish at the lows but i'm i'm kind of pessimistic thinking maybe we got to run down to the low 360s here before too long at the midday there was some uh, rumor floating in the trade that due to logistical issues china was looking at pnw for more exports have you heard anything i've not i mean i think that makes sense on the price wise and i think with um you know what they need to do to get to get us back in their good graces here. I, I mean, I'm very concerned long-term, like, how this China deal is going to work out because we're now in the middle of March, and they really haven't bought anything. So, um, you know, if we're locked up here for another couple of months with, with our poor problems and this virus, uh, I, I don't know how they're going to catch up as quickly as possible, especially given the supply that's going to be available in South America once the summer hits there. So, I, you know, the one thing about it is whatever I'm saying is known. 
it always feels the worst at the low, and then uh, feels pretty bad here today. Uh, you know, with now the rumors, and I might be guys. I might be talking to you guys from off the floor for the next couple of weeks. They're talking about sending us home uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll still trade. I'll still be a broker, but I just won't do it from an office. And uh, there's talk of shutting public transportation down and uh, all sorts of draconian uh, efforts to just simply slow this down. I don't know how that'll work or not. I've, I've read both sides, but uh, at this point, I'm just kind of trying to go with the flow and expecting the worst at this point. Yeah, we've been talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Their website up all the time. That's DanielZagMarketing.com. Do you remember trading futures and options involves risk of loss? It may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. And that's going to do it for our midday program here on this Wednesday. If you'd like to hear the midday program in its entirety, you can go to podcasts on krvn.com. Brought to you by Davini Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Davini Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.